Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. So in this particular podcast episode, we are doing what I'm calling an emergency podcast because I'm uh, declaring a creator state of emergency. So if you're watching the replay of this, please make sure you're sharing this in all of the places across social media, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook communities, Discord servers, wherever you can, wherever creators hang out. And if you're listening to the audio, same thing goes for you if you're checking out the replay or the live stream right now. So we are pretty much in a recession. I'm not an economist. This is not financial advice. This is creator advice. I think it's time to call it. When you have two consecutive quarters of slowed down growth in the economy and you have uh, inflation run amok, it's time to call it. And the thing is, creators, some of you are old enough to where you were adults like me in the previous recession. I'm a survivor of the previous recession. The difference is, while some of these social media platforms exist, they weren't monetized back then, and almost no one was making a full-time living as an online content creator during the previous recession. Everyone was doing it as a side hustle gig and was most likely working a nine-to-five job or running a business outside of their whole deal as a creator, okay? So back in the previous recession, well over a decade ago, uh, YouTube and every creator having monetization, that was not a thing. The YouTube Partner Program was uh, new back then. You were not monetizing on these other platforms. There was not, oh, I'm a full-time Twitch streamer. None of that stuff existed back then, okay? So there used to be no such thing. There was no such animal in the previous recession as being a full-time content creator. It was not something that was available to people. And I'm not even saying, oh, to the majority of people. I mean, just period. So this is all new. And what you need to know about recessions, and I'm someone who worked at a company, I'm somebody who's worked in advertising, someone who's worked in marketing. What you all need to know about recession is that when a recession happens, advertising budgets start to dry up and get a little bit thin. Part of the reason for that is that uh, consumers are not buying. So when people aren't buying, and we've already had the pandemic, we've had the supply chain issues, we've had people not having enough cash on hand, now we have rampant inflation, and now we also have the overall slowing down of the economy, hiring freezes in multiple sectors on top of layoffs, and we haven't even hit rock bottom yet, and they're not even wanting to uh, declare the recession a reality just yet. But I think we all see the writing on the wall here. It, it's something where, okay, we haven't hit rock bottom yet. And whereas creators are concerned, where advertising is concerned, many of you as creators have already been reporting to me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Roberto Blake. Many of you have been reporting to me on Twitter that you've been seeing uh, 30, 40, and even 50% declines in YouTube ad revenue. For those of you who've been around YouTube before, you might be familiar with a phrase called the ad apocalypse, the YouTube ad apocalypse. This was when advertisers uh, in multiple different iterations 
boycotted YouTube and pulled advertising uh, dollars from YouTube and um, wanting to leverage that for concessions, for safer ad guidelines, and so on and so forth. So uh, that's that's an issue. This is not the same thing because now advertisers are pulling dollars out, not because they're boycotting YouTube for unsafe ads or uh, creators behaving poorly. It's they're pulling out due to market considerations and dried up budgets and the problems in moving their products and just different problems across the board economically. Now, we have a comment here from someone in the live audience uh, on the water says hiring freezes. I thought we were still struggling to find employees. Two things can be simultaneously true at once. And here's the problem. We're struggling to find employees in job sectors that produce a very small amount of disposable income. The people that we're having problems when it comes to finding and struggling employees are typically lower income jobs that do not produce the disposable income that keeps the ad industry humming. We have hiring freezes and cutbacks at the higher point in the ladder and at the middle point in the ladder that produce the disposable income that lets uh, the advertising dollars go around and the money that circulates the most. Ironically, and I'm not an economist here, but ironically, do you know why there were like so many people who actually did not like straight up struggle during the recession? Why during, sorry, not the recession, during the pandemic, do you know why so many people were able to uh, work from home and become small business owners during the pandemic? A lot of people actually were able to go up in terms of their vertical, because they were providing services, not to people that are on the lower part of the ladder, but people in the middle and top part of the ladder and people in the middle, top part of the ladder, their dollars circulate among each other. This is something called the velocity of money. And a lot of people don't understand it. Again, I'm not an economist. And so you could, you could talk to people about that, but two things can be simultaneously true. And the thing is, depending on where you are in the ladder, your experiences may vary. And this also even leads with, um, you know, something my friend uh, Trent's tech is pulling up. Uh, he says his ad revenue has remained the same. Now for some small creators, uh, smaller channels, your ad revenue might remain the same right now. And your advertising dollars, if you're in sectors like tech, if you're in sectors like tech, here's the good news for people in tech. The economy will not, generally speaking, affect the ad budgets and tech and spend in sectors and market verticals like tech and consumer electronics, because the people who buy high end and uh, general uh, consumer electronics will continue to buy high end and consumer electronics. And they're people whose incomes usually generally stay stable. We saw that during the pandemic, and we will see that in the recession too, at least for the time being. And so just keep in mind that if you were a different type of creator, let's say you're an entertainer, if you're an entertainer, you're relying on direct-to-consumer brands and different staples and ads being run in those sectors. And that's where the money will dry up first and the most uh, aggressively is the things that cater to average consumers that spend uh, small dollar amounts on things. So. Again, that's what's going to be happening. And that's what is happening, by the way, to some content creators. There are some content creators where that's already happening. The other thing that's going to happen is brand deals are going to consolidate to creators who are proven. So people who keep their nose clean, people who avoid drama and controversy, uh, brand deals consolidate down to that. 
and brand deals consolidate, uh, at least the better paying brand deals consolidate toward established creators. And also even among established, established creators, it'll consolidate down to the people who deliver the most and who are the easiest to work with. So just kind of keep that, that sort of thing in mind is that the people who are easiest to work with will keep getting work. They will continue to have relationships with these brands. But people are telling me brand deals and budgets and things are being suspended and that there are issues there. Now, there is an opportunity with brand deals from newer companies, startups, and so on and so forth. But the problem is, while they have money and they have budgets and they have VC funding, they also don't have established reputations. And so then there's a risk in dealing with the audience and whether or not they want to go in on something new when their money might be you know, needing to you know, be protected a little bit more. Like people are going to, in this economy, people are going to be much more specific about who they spend their money with. So they're going to spend money with who they know, who they like, and who they trust and creators they find to be authentic and trustworthy. And those are the people who are going to keep getting their money and getting their support. So in terms of taking risk right now, in terms of taking risk right now, this is not a great time for taking risk. If you're someone who's mid-tier to established, if you're a small content creator, you have nothing to lose. Small content creators have very little to lose in this market. And what they should be doing is they should be doing everything they can to get attention, gain an audience, get momentum. And the dollars that they get will be meaningful to them because they weren't getting dollars before. So small content creators, people new to the market, they get to come in and they get to go for broke. People who have something to lose or something they're trying to hold on to or something they're trying to uh, grow further are going to want to be a little bit more careful, more conservative and focus in on established relationships, things that are tried and true. And they're also going to want to um, confirm commitments there in place. So what this looks like is if you're an established or a mid-tier content creator, you probably want to look at getting contract recurring brand deals more than one-time brand deals. Brand deals that are one time, you're probably going to get lowballed a little bit in this market. They're going to try to feed off of insecurity. And the thing is, you might need to take some of those deals because right now, money in hand, cash is king. Uh, having that for a rainy day, you might need to. You might need to. Uh, but if you can have long-term deals, sign six-month contracts, 12-month contracts, and lock in rates, and lock in rates, then that's probably in your best interest. If you can, avoid controversy and controversial subjects and everything. Stay clean. Keep it clean. Keep it moving. Uh, just play it safe. Playing it safe is probably one of the best things you can do right now. The other thing is if you're seeing dips in ad revenue, consider putting out more content. Do things that help you secure more channel memberships. Focus on channel memberships and putting out exclusives and getting people to double down on loyalty and commit to you and give you the $5 a month, the $10 a month. Get a 1,000 true fans. Get that solid baseline of income going. That way, every single month, you know exactly that you're making a baseline of this minimum amount of income in terms of having either YouTube channel members or Twitch uh, member subscriptions, uh, what, you know, what that looks like. People sign up to your Patreon. Focus a lot on memberships to ride out the recession and so that people who have disposable income who support creators consolidate some of that into supporting you. Set a goal for having a thousand true fans. That way you have a baseline of being able to pay your bills and knowing that that's uh, guaranteed income of some kind. And so I would definitely say uh, go there. That's definitely one hedge and one way to diversify. The other is go back to your brands that you work with now and get uh, solid contracts of six to 12 months. 
even if it's uh, you know, something where you take a little bit less money up front, but it's recurring money, it's guaranteed income, you're basically setting yourself up with a salary with the brand, I would do that right now. I think it's a big deal. So speaking of uh, channel support, we've got a super chat that's coming from Carrot Juice Podcast, and that's Carrot with a K. And he says, this topic is very relevant and something that I've been thinking about personally. Look forward to hearing your sage advice, sir. Positive vibes. And remember, be like water, my friend. I appreciate you. Yeah, you got to be adaptable. You got to be like water. You have to be willing to uh, take the form that allows you to fit the moment. And I'd say this is very important. Uh, Technically, T brings up a point. He says, also brands that you've worked with and that you're an affiliate program with, if they are fighting back on the cost of the deal, leverage high commission rates on the affiliate side. Absolutely. uh, Show yourself to be a high performer. Show yourself to be someone who can deliver. Show yourself to be someone who can produce. And that makes a big difference. And then the thing is, you will become a priority for the brand. And... um, you know, I think that this is like really important. This brings up affiliate programs. So something else I'm seeing is I'm seeing affiliate programs either cancel their referrals or their affiliate commissions, or some of them are cutting it, cutting it back. There are some people I know that their affiliate programs are being redone and they're being cut in half, or instead of doing monthly recurring commissions, some of them are canceling that out and doing a bounty program instead. Some of them are doing things where, hey, instead of giving you uh, monthly commissions for a lifetime, we're only going to do it for the first 12 months. So a lot of these programs are changing and their their affiliate programs, you know, for the last few years, I've been making a very healthy amount of money, like nearly $100,000 a year in purely affiliate passive income from recurring brand deals, more than half of that uh, coming from TubeBuddy alone. If they change their affiliate program, that's like a significant hit, doesn't you know, destroy me. It doesn't like it's, but it does hurt. It is significant. So if they decide, Hey, we're only going to give you commissions for the first 12 months instead of lifetime, that dramatically changes my income trajectory and my revenue going forward. Um, I've done hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales for them. Um, and we've both benefited. Uh, so, you know, I've made them well over a quarter million, probably going almost to $400,000 in, uh, sales over our relationship, about you know five six years here and i've also benefited from that i'm almost to four hundred thousand in lifetime earnings from them as well but if that changes then that's like not a fun time it's really not but i have a plan for that because the supplemental to that income is pursuing more long-term brand deals and building up channel memberships and then also introducing more products on my own and that's another thing that we have to definitely talk about is what else can you do? How can you diversify? How can you hedge in this marketplace? And what can you do that also respects the audience? So we got another uh, $20 super chat here from chunk and dad quality time. Appreciate y'all. Excuse me. Been watching since 2016. My daughter and I finally started YouTube in 2020 using what I learned from you. Just want to show some love. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for, Uh, that live super chat. And so this is something that I also want to bring up. I want to bring up that when, when it comes to um, what you can do, even with regard to your audience is there are a couple of things I think you can and should do. If you're selling digital products that cost you nothing upfront because it's digital, I think running discounts even massive discounts 
and getting um, your audience to commit to spending some money with you is better than nothing during these hard times. So by doing a massive coupon in a limited window of time and making things affordable, I think you can definitely um, gain a lot of traction from doing a recession sale of some kind or a holiday sale of some kind. But when it comes to your own time, for those of you who are out there who are coaches, consultants, you, you, you're, you, know, you do uh, personal training, you do personal development, you do social media coaching, you do uh, gear coaching, you do anything that involves coaching, um, I don't think you should actually sell your time for less. I think you should sell your time for more. And I think you, there's nothing wrong with increasing your rates if you're a coach by 10, 15, or even up to 20% right now as a hedge against, um, you know, the inflation and also to um, just extract more value from that in terms of your time, because it's time you're taking away from marketing, making content, doing any stuff. So you can discount a product. If it's a digital product that costs you nothing, you can discount that. Even if it's merchandise and you don't pay up front for the merchandise, if you're using uh, Spreadshop, who is one of our sponsors, shout out to our sponsors, Spreadshop, TubeBuddy, StreamYard, and Epidemic Sound, uh, supporting my content across channels and platforms, uh, sponsoring me, appreciate all of you. But if you have something like uh, Spreadshop where I do my merch, let's say you're doing creator merch, if you're doing creator merch and you're doing Spreadshop, it costs you $0 upfront and it costs you $0 a month to be on Spreadshop. So guess what you do? You can discount your merchandise and then more people might buy it. And then you're getting some money instead of no money because the discount attracts people. And then they also appreciate that. So that's something that you could be doing. And so, um, I yes, Wendy Coop, discount your product, but not your time. Now, this is for products that don't cost you upfront money. This is for products that are either print on demand or digital where you're not paying up front. As for your time, increase the rate for your time uh, and for services that take time. You're a graphic designer, raise your rates if you're a graphic designer. You're a video editor, raise your rates. You're a consultant, you're a coach, raise your rates. 10%, 20, 10 to 20% is fine. Anything beyond that gets extravagant, but 10 to 20% is the cost that everything else is going up by. There are things that are more expensive now than they were by more than 20%, but 10 to 20% is reasonable in terms of raising your rates, especially if you froze your rates during the pandemic, especially if you froze your rates during the pandemic. If you have the juice and the numbers when it comes to brand deals, I'm fine with you raising your rates for brand deals by as much as 30%, 10 to 30% on brand deals if, if, you're also doing better numbers than you were. If you're doing better numbers than you were, you could do that. Now, if you're not doing better numbers or if you're like, you know what? I just would rather have more security. Go into a long-term contract, discount your rate, but get a long protracted commitment uh, over a period of time when it comes to your brand deals. In my opinion, this is just what I would do and what I'm looking at and what I'm doing is so – that that becomes, I think, very valuable. I think it becomes very valuable to do that. So 
when it comes to your audience, you can lower the price of individual products and make that accessible. When it comes to working with other uh, businesses or when it comes to working with brands, you can increase your rates a little bit and justify that. Or you could lower them by doing a longer bulk discount of, hey, longer term contract. So that ends up being more money over a longer period of time, but it's less money um, in terms of upfront money. It feels like less, but you got a larger commitment. So it's a larger dollar amount and it's a protracted relationship. And what I mean by that, to make it simple for people, to make it simple for people, I'll tell you how it is. If you normally get $3,000 on a brand deal, get them to commit to doing a, a, a deal with you where you go into a six-month contract. And if you do a six-month contract, maybe instead of 3000 for a video, maybe it's 2500 per video, but now you're doing six of them. Or maybe it's 2000 per video, and now you're doing six of them. Yes, you couldn't. You were doing 3000 but you couldn't necessarily get them to do six videos at 3000 But if you get them to do six videos at 2000 you're still getting money. You're like, damn, that's a big, deep discount, but it's six videos now. So now it's $12,000 instead of $3,000. Even if you got them to agree to do two videos with you and they took $3,000, you'd be getting $6,000. But instead, if you want to do, if you do six videos with them, it's $12,000. It's just more money that you're going to make that year. So it can feel bad or feel like you're selling yourself short, but you're really not. You're just, you know, altering the deal, so to speak. And you're creating a situation where in the long term, I feel you'll have more reliable money. And so for many of you, that could ultimately just put you in a more secure and stable situation since you don't know what's coming down the road over the next six, 12 or 18 months. And, and so that's just a thought. Uh, let's grab a couple of these other super chats. Side Hustler Society, thank you for the $2 super chat. Um, would you say this is why ad revenue is lower now? In some niches, ad revenue is lower now. And this is, again, like I said, this is typical in a recession. It's just that we haven't had the creator economy during a recession. In a recession, ad rates and marketing budgets are the first thing in many cases to get cut along with personnel. So sometimes you will see lower ad rates. Now, people say, well, my CPM doesn't change. Here's what might change, though. The number of monetized views. The number of monetized views could still change even if your CPM doesn't. So don't rely completely on CPM and RPMs as a metric of whether you're being impacted. Monetized views matters, and you can see monetized views in the advanced mode of YouTube analytics. And so this is another thing that's important. And this is something people don't understand. Advanced YouTube analytics actually do matter. And a lot of people do not consider this. So that's one aspect of the ad revenue thing. Here's my hedge when it comes to things like ad revenue, though. If you did this, and this is something on my main YouTube channel, the main YouTube channel I have that has 500,000 subscribers, what I'm looking at is a couple of things. One, I'm going to get back to just posting multiple videos a week and, uh, for me, for me, and this is just me, controversial thing to say, for me, pandemic's over, back to work. Uh, pandemic's over, back to hustle mode, out of my feelings and back to work. And I know people don't like that. They think, to, oh, toxic hustle culture, oh, toxic productivity. It's like, um, you know what? The pandemic destroyed everyone's productivity, everyone's perspective and everyone's motivation. And it's not like most people came out better for it by indulging 
uh, whatever they were feeling in terms of their uh, mental and emotional state, a lot of people are actually worse off. And now they're about to enter a recession that really will not spare anybody, uh, anybody's feelings or anybody's circumstances. And the economic reality will not care. The economic reality will not wait for your mental health to improve. Therefore, my harsh advice is that if you can get over it, you need to because uh, the world will not wait. The world will not wait and we will not get another year off. That is harsh. I understand. And I understand it will offend some people and some people are not for it. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like this is what's going to happen. And I feel like anyone coddling you is not your friend right now. The last recession was brutal. It was economic carnage. I think that this will be worse, if I'm being fairly honest. I think this will be worse, so I'm preparing you to do better. And I'm telling you that your feelings, your wallet will not be spared, your bank account will not be spared, so why will your feelings? So I'm just done with it. So what's my plan? My plan is posting two to three videos a week, very consistently. I will do everything in my power to not miss a week going forward on my main channel, on my main channel. And even with this podcast, I'm going to try to also do this podcast live stream once a week. Both these are monetized. I'm going to double down on revenue generating opportunities. I do very well. I have passive income. I have brand deals. I have a, but guess what? I'm not going to take those things for granted. If I'm in a position as someone who earns six figures, who's not going to take for granted that they have contracts in place, not going to take for granted they have multiple affiliate programs, not going to take for granted that I have my own membership website. If I'm not going to take anything for granted, why would any of you? If I'm going to be paranoid and buckle down and be disciplined. That should be a sign that should be setting off alarm bells that I refuse to be comfortable. And that's because I'm some toxic hustle culture. It's because I realize that anybody can lose everything at the drop of a dime and it will not be me because I will prepare myself in such a way to where it's unlikely to be me because I will make it so that there are so many things that have to go wrong before that could possibly happen. And I would just take that as your warning bells and your wake-up call that if I'm not comfortable, don't be comfortable. If I'm not comfortable, don't be comfortable. If I'm anxious, that's a sign. That's a sign. So what I'm doing is it's back to consistency. And I'm not going to care how videos perform. I'm going to use the inventory. I'm going to use it being evergreen. And I'm going to put it out there. And what else am I going to do with that? I'm going to be showing the sponsors that I'm consistent because what am I going to do? I'm looking and reviewing every single one of my sponsor contracts. I'm looking at how many deliverables I owe my sponsors uh, in the year. And this year for every existing contract I have, I'm going to over deliver. And this is just my plan. This is my plan. I am going to over deliver on all of my contract obligations with my sponsors and brands by 10 to 20%, whatever I owe them, I will give them 10 to 20% more. Meaning that if I owe a brand 10 videos this year, they will get 12 videos this year. And I will let them know that they got 12 videos this year. If they were owed, um, you know, four mentions in my newsletter, they will get like five mentions this year in my newsletter, whatever relationships I have with brands, I will be over delivering for them this year. And I will show them that I'm a team player and that I'm reliable and that we're, well, I will do what nobody else will do for them. I will give them 10 to 20% more than whatever they paid for. Why? Because that means, guess whose contract's getting renewed? Guess who's getting another 6 to 12 months of runway and guaranteed income? This guy. 
So I'm making that plan. And that's my plan is I don't mind doing a little bit of extra work to guarantee or put myself in the best position to have expectations, even if it's not guarantee, even if they don't renew, I know that I did everything in my power to be a good partner and that I'm deserving of a renewal in that relationship. And that of everybody who got renewed, I'm going to be talked about when everybody's name is brought up. I'm going to be talked about because it's like, oh, he owed us 10 and he gave us 12. It's like, well, that's somebody to keep an eye on and to look at or okay, let's go back to the table, even if it's for a lower amount. So it's about putting yourself in a position to have uh, security and it's about maintaining those relationships. It's about staying, keeping, also keep the lines of communication open with your brands and like, let them know what's going on and talk to them more. Ask them what they need. Ask them what they need. Ask them if there's something coming up. Ask them what you can be a part of. Ask them how you can help. That's something I look at. And so that's, that, I think that's important. When it comes to, okay, well, what about my audience? What about if my, um, like, I, what about selling things? You can sell things. There are high rollers in almost every niche and every audience. People who are consuming your free content, some of them will get annoyed with the brand deals. Some of them will get annoyed if you have a product and you're pitching your product in your videos and you want to sell something, or if you're pitching the merchandise, some of them will get annoyed and some of them will leave. Those people who leave, who get annoyed whenever you try to sell something, are unfortunately, they're probably even in large and even in numbers, even in numbers, they will not be the majority. Number one, they'll be a vocal minority as a vocal minority. That's number one. Number two, the value per view that you gain by losing them is not so significant. One sale, one sale of one thing you have usually beats a thousand viewers on YouTube because we know this. Why? We know this because of CPM rates. We know this because of our CPM rates. So what's the value, the most value that a thousand viewers can be at any given time after YouTube takes its cut is going to be, if we're being extraordinarily generous and you're in the finance niche, after YouTube takes its cut, it's going to be 15, 20, $30 is what a thousand people are worth. But if somebody is willing to buy something and those people, a thousand people leave because they're annoyed, at best, they're all, every thousand people is worth 20, 30 bucks. If you're a um, education-based channel of some kind or uh, a finance channel of some kind. But if you get to sell something that is $20, $30 in profit to one person, let alone 10 people, 10 people who buy, 10 people supporting with your eyeballs, 10 people who super chat, so on and so forth. 10 people who support you financially will always be worth more than a thousand people who support you with their eyeballs when it comes to YouTube. That's logistics of the math. So do not be afraid to sell merch. Do not be afraid to sell digital products. Do not be afraid to sell your services and your videos during this recession because there are people in your audience who can afford to buy and will, afford and will buy if they know that the opportunity exists and if it's right for them and it's at the right price. And you know, one to 10 of those can easily by many times over be worth more than losing a thousand people who are annoyed even if it was a thousand people but it's unlikely that it will be a thousand people that are annoyed it will almost always be a vocal minority of people it won't be like a thousand people if it was a thousand people you'd have to be getting like a million views of video so just kind of keep that thing in mind 
David Harnell with a $10 super chat. I just feel that YouTube can never be the one basket you put your uh, economic eggs into. That's why I'm trying to finish my bachelor's, move to Europe, teach English, and learn how to code. All of those are great ideas, David. YouTube lets you diversify in a lot of ways. My whole basket isn't YouTube. Uh, I consult for brands. I could easily go and switch from the influencer cap of, hey, I'm repping them in videos to, hey, I'm consulting them on their products on the back end. I get a stipend as being on the advisory board for several companies. It's not that much, but it's like literally more than I, uh, my advisory board uh, stipends between a couple of companies adds up to what my like $30,000 a year I probably used to, now it adds up probably to about the $30,000 a year I used to make uh, at my old job, like back in the day, back in the day, like, like 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I was making like 30 something thousand. Then I'd side hustle on top of that. So at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, between ad revenue yeah i do better than my job my old job when it comes to ad revenue alone and then i'd make it off of yes the advisory stuff but then even my coaching even my own membership and coaching and one-on-one calls i would i make six figures on that business and so if i make a hundred thousand on my coaching business regardless of how youtube's performing it's a matter of using it as a marketing uh facilitator for that if nothing else if nothing else and that's not only youtube i have 12,000 followers in LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a professional place, so I could leverage that more, probably do not more money, more numbers in LinkedIn with that following there, uh, 60,000 plus in Twitter, 23,000 in Instagram. So I've hedged to where I have uh, more than 10,000 in almost every platform except TikTok, except for TikTok and except for the podcast itself. I have an email list of over 10,000 people. So I've diversified and I have enough of a hedge to maintain a six-figure uh, income. It, it the biggest hit would be losing money that I reinvest into the business. But in terms of money to live off of, could probably handle a lot of that. But yeah, YouTube, I use YouTube as leverage. I use it as an asset. I use it uh, as an asset to generate other streams of income outside of YouTube. That's why I go with software as a service recurring affiliate marketing because if something happened to YouTube, that money's already, I made those sales already. They're already recurring commissions. They're already guaranteed. It's the one-time commissions that I would lose the hit on, which would suck, but the recurring commissions um, are a good portion of it. Then uh, the big thing I would lose is recurring brand deals, but I would try to flip that into consulting for the brands on the back end. So I'd go to being a back-end consultant instead of a front-end influencer. And my reputation has been built in such a way to where I have built a reputation for that. Now, if you're an entertainment YouTuber, that's probably not as much of an option for you. But I'm just making the point that um, – when you use YouTube and the skills of being a content creator as leverage, when you do things like you have a podcast, the good news about the podcast is it's also distributed via audio. So I still have a voice. I still have a presence. I still have distribution method. So there's a lot of things I can do. And then we multi-stream because thank you to StreamYard for being a sponsor. Uh, thank you very much to StreamYard because with StreamYard, I can uh, simulcast to Facebook. Facebook, I have uh, 10,000 followers in Facebook. We 12,000 in uh, LinkedIn, we do LinkedIn Live, 63,000 in Twitter. So I have Twitter Live capabilities, uh, my private Facebook group membership uh, for uh, group coaching. So there's like, so with StreamYard, I can multi-stream. So I still have multiple platforms, the audio distribution through uh, the podcast, playing in Apple, Spotify, Amazon podcast, Google podcast, all the things, all the places. So that's, you know, a realistic thing. Being an advisor for TubeBuddy, that's a thing. So there's all of these different variations 
of being able to leverage a reputation if you build that and not just a platform, but it's also about how you position yourself. So, and the thing is, this diversity of income streams is the leverage that content creator has because they can scale their income. If you just are working your nine to five job, and again, people make this mistake and think that people like me and they call us like online gurus or whatever, and they think we hate the nine to five working man or whatever. Uh, we don't. We actually advocate probably more for working class people than anyone else by saying, you know, you don't have enough leverage and you can't wait on some revolution or some upheaval or some workers' rights movement. It's like the odds are it's not going to come in time to save you. And the odds are that even if it happens, you probably benefit the least from it. And the odds are, if you are really cynical, a lot of good that's going to do you if you ever get fired. Or if for some reason you can't work in that industry or that business anymore, or that company anymore. So a lot of good, all of these social changes or movements or workers' rights or all this. Like I'm not saying those are bad things or that those are bad goals. I'm saying historically, as someone who has lived it, is that if you're sitting there and you're waiting for change to happen, by the time it happens, your life will get much worse. And so you'll only think that your life got better when all the new changes kick in. But the thing is, the, all right, the, your life is coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down. Here come these new changes. And then so all of a sudden, just compared to where you are when with your life getting worse, you think that improvement happened. The thing is, no, if you had managed to stay where you are and then new changes came in, yes, your life would get better. But what are the odds that you're going to get to stay where you are? If things get worse, 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 even if things get a little bit better, you're not even back to where you were. You're not made whole. You're not made whole. And this is the delusion. The delusion is the idea that somehow, some way, you're going to be able to maintain and keep everything you have. And then all these wonderful changes will come in and then your life will improve. When the reality is most likely that by the time improvements in society happen, you it's too late to do enough for you to make you benefit from it or to make you whole and your life is progressively getting drastically worse in the meantime. So I'm a bit very cynical about these things. So what's the answer? The answer that I came up with in my own life was I'm going to go my own way on my own terms and I'm going to be the master of my fate. I'm going to be the author of my own story. And so for me, the answer to that was I'm going to take my skills and I'm going to go into the marketplace and I'm going to, um, own the relationship with the customer. I'm going to take full responsibility for everything. And I also am going to make sure that I own the resources that allow me to do my work. And then far I will not be beholden to someone else. They won't get the code switch on me. They won't get to move the goalpost. They won't get to change the rules and they won't get to decide how I'm compensated. It will be a covenant between me and the consumer. And there will be a covenant between me and the consumer. And I will just create value in the market and I'll be rewarded accordingly. And I will live with that and I will take all the risk and I will take all the responsibility, but I will also keep most of the revenue in doing that. And therefore I will like not be beholden. And that's why I left being an employer, uh, sorry, an employee. That's why I stopped being an employee. And I get, Oh, well that everyone can be an entrepreneur. It's like everyone has nothing to do with you. Everyone has nothing to do with you. If you're listening to this podcast, you're not everybody. You're you focus on yourself. Don't focus on these massive sweeping ideas and be a foot soldier in somebody else's cause. Uh, be a leader in your own cause is what I believe in is be a leader in your own cause, be your own champion. And what that looks like is you take matters into your own hands. And by taking matters into your own hands, you say, I need skills that will allow me to earn. I need to learn things that will let me earn more. I need to learn more 
of the things that let me earn more of what I want. I need to learn more of the things that let me earn more of what I want. And so you need to be able to do that in your own way, by your own hand, on your own terms, because that's what control is. That's what leverage is. What, 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 what scenario, I'll give you a primary example. Let's say at best, let's say at best, you become a content creator and let's say you don't even make $1,000 a month. Let's say you make $500 a month. If you make $500 a month as a content creator on the side, you're making $6,000 a year on the side. What scenario are you going to use right now that's going to let you get a $6,000 a year raise out of your boss? Right. Right. And let's say if you're able to increase your abilities as a content creator to earn and you increase your capacity to earn as a content creator by 25% a year. So that's a side hustle that you're scaling by 25% a year. In what scenario are you going to be able to increase your earnings at your nine to five job by 25% a year? Right. So this is the reality. So yes, it's a scary time to be a content creator, but it's a scary time to be anybody. It's a scary time to be anyone. If your boss fires you, your income disappears. If you are in a content creator, if you're in the creator economy and you diversify your income streams, diversify your platforms, a lot has to go wrong before you're down to nothing with no options. If you're a content creator, you have an audience. If you're a content creator, you have a network. If you're a content creator, you have options of multiple streams of income. If you're an employee, you don't own the relationship with the customers. The, if you're fired, you're not going to maintain the relationship with your coworkers and they're going to, you're going to be persona non grata. That's assuming you're not blackballed in your industry if you have a career, let alone a job. So just think about those things. You have the least amount of agency. You have the least amount of agency as an employee. Uh, but if you have a side hustle, you have more agency. And if you become self-employed, you have more agency. And so what's the riskier thing? What's the less secure thing? What's the less secure thing? So you're more secure when you own your relationships. You're more secure when you own the resources and tools of your trade. And when you know that you're responsible for your capacity to earn, then you are much more secure and you have much more leverage in that situation. And that also entitles you to um, keep the revenue for everything that you're contributing because you own those things. You own the relationship, the resources, and you own the risk and responsibility. When you do that, you own most of the revenue. That's the difference. When you don't, when you don't, and your uh, employer provides your resources, those can be withdrawn. And now how do you earn? If the resources of the, the tools of the trade are withdrawn, Okay. If the access and relationship with the customers, well, how do you create value? That's withdrawn. And what they do is they also have and assume all the re legal risk and responsibility and legal liability. So that's all this protection um, when things go wrong. And that's also, again, like the, oh, you don't have to think about those other things. You just have to do a task that you're assigned. So th that's really kind of what this looks like. So what, so in that situation, okay, Roberto, is it still good to leave your nine to five job to become a content creator right now? Right now, I would say it depends on whether you have a job or a career. And I would say it depends on whether you are working as somebody who's specialized or someone who's non-specialized. If you're specialized, you might have a little bit more leverage 
And so you might have more negotiating power. So it might be worth staying and side hustling. And you might be able to get the most of both worlds. If you're specialized, maybe you can stay. Maybe you can get a raise. Maybe you can apply pressure. And maybe with the confidence that the side hustle income gives you, you'll be able to do those things. But if you are somebody who is not specialized, and let's say you're a laborer or you're doing retail, it's, it's a little rougher to leave your nine to five job uh, because uh, there is less leverage that you have to deploy. However, you might be able to out earn that job. And so the capital that your time can produce might be more valuable outside that job. So it depends. So it's not a one size fits all situation here. And I'm not saying, oh yeah, just quit your job, be a YouTuber, buy my course, blah, blah, blah. I'm not doing that. I'm making a point that you have to consider what your the value of your abilities and your time are realistically. And can you deploy, if you were to leave your nine to five job, can you realistically deploy that time and energy and those skills in a way that out earns it drastically? And is your side hustle verification and proof that you can take this further and that it, it that your time is more valuable spent in the business than in the company that you used to work for? So you have to really weigh those things. You have to be realistic about them and you need to have some data to confirm what you're believing in that regard. So that's, that's what I think. That's what I believe about that situation. And I do like this uh, from through a glass darkly better to better yourself than on a company that doesn't care about you. Yes, but you should, and you should also make the assumption that they don't necessarily care about you. Uh, you're an asset, you're an asset or you're a liability. And the thing is, even if you are an asset and you're productive, are you replaceable and to what extent? And so I would say have a sober, I don't think you have to have a cynical view of employment. I think you have to have a sober view of employment. And so having a sober view of employment is being able to accurately assess yourself and to what extent you are valued, what extent you are an asset. And that means looking at yourself honestly and saying, am I specialized or am I not? Am I specialized? How many people are there in the market that have my skills and abilities and can produce the results that I produce? So to what extent am I specialized? To what extent am I a producer? To where, where, where do I rank in terms of the industry, not just the company, but in the industry? Am I a talent for which there could be a bidding war? My best friend, she, she doesn't have to worry. My best friend is in such a position in her career to where she makes almost as much money as I do at this point after taxes, and companies will literally start a bidding war over her. They will start a bidding war over her for her position to um, have – her in their company. That's a really good position to be in, but most people, that's not going to be their situation because she doesn't have a job. She has a career and she's worked and built a reputation in her industry and she's a leader. And those are very, very, very different things. And most people cannot say that about what their work situation is. So when you have a realistic and sober view of your finances and your work situation, it makes a difference. The other thing you need to be doing as a creator is if you are a creator, right now is not the time to be buying a bunch of gear in like unless you have it like that. Unless you have it like that, you got cash reserves, you're in expansion mode, you're about to go crush it and make the best content ever, and you've got sponsors lined up and you got money in the bank, then yeah, you can go buy gear. You can buy like right now, right now is the time to just put out more content 
and to spend as little money to make your content as possible unless you feel really secure. Unless you feel really secure, uh, you got very little debt, maybe you all you got is the mortgage or maybe the mortgage is paid off. I would say like right now, extreme frugality is sexy as hell right now. And I would definitely encourage it more. I would say that in addition to making more money, tighten things up. I know people don't like to hear that. Oh, you're depriving yourself or, oh, that iced coffee is not going to hurt or blah, 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 blah. I know people, it is popular right now to validate and to coddle people and to tell them, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's like, what about, what about, let's confirm that it's okay for you. Let's take a hard look at your money. Instead of validating your feelings, let's go validate the data and let's go confirm what's true. Let's go confirm what's objectively true instead of what you will like to hear and what will make you feel better. Because here's the thing, what a lot of people are going to do is they're going to monetize. They're going to monetize making people feel better. They're going to monetize validating people. They're going to monetize cheerleading. They're going to monetize telling you things that will not protect you from yourself. They're not going to tell you the truth. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you what the truth is. I'm telling you that you need to confirm the truth. And I'm telling you, you're going to confirm the truth by looking at your bank account. You're going to confirm the truth by looking at your bank account. You're going to confirm the truth by looking at, by having a budget and looking at that budget. You're going to confirm the truth by making a damn spreadsheet. That's what's going to tell you the truth. The truth is going to be in the spreadsheet. It's not going to be in your heart. It's not going to be, listen to your heart. No, listen to the damn data. Listen to the spreadsheet. Like, listen to your wallet. It's like, that will tell you the truth. That will tell you the truth. The truth will be in the numbers. They will not lie. Again, Technically, if you want to torture data, it'll sing every song, any song you want. If you torture data long enough, it'll sing any song you want to make it stop. You know, but but generally speaking, the numbers won't lie unless you decide you're going to torture them. So just go objectively look at the numbers, have a sober mentality about it and say, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to what are the numbers saying? What is what is the data telling me? And then make a dad-driven decision that you can live with and understand that you won't have to live with it forever. If the numbers or the data changes for any reason or any of the variables change, you're allowed to change your decision and to change your mind and to recalibrate. That's the other thing people don't do. So just remember, a, dad, a data-driven decision doesn't necessarily mean a permanent decision. The data may reflect something differently at a different point in time. So you're allowed to then pivot and change in the direction that the data dictates. And so what I would tell you is that when you want to do this, I would say look at how much money you actually need to not impact your lifestyle right now. And then look at 20% more than that. And that's the number where I think you start to feel safe is how much in the next 12 months will it take to maintain the circumstances and lifestyle that I currently have? And then, okay, what's 20% on top of that? And why is it, what's 20% on top of that? Hedge against continued inflation, but also against emergencies and against inflation itself, not all being equal not all being equal. When we talk about inflation and it being like, you know, 8% or this or that, we're averaging out the numbers. We're averaging out the numbers. But food prices have gone up much more than 8%. You could look at the numbers and you can find 14, 15%. Gas is certainly going up more than 8%. This is an average. This is an aggregate where it's an aggregate. 
So what you, in my opinion, should do is realize that, well, you won't be affected equally by price changes and price inflation and price gouging in all categories. Some categories will affect you more than others. So your safety number is 20% above normal, in my opinion. And that's your low ball number. Your low ball safety number is 20% above normal. So what does that mean? That means that if you already were only earning what you need to earn to maintain where you are, you got to make 20% more than what you're making. If you were earning above that and then you were having some savings, congratulations and great, but you should still probably still shoot for 20% above that. If someone were going to try to leave their nine to five job to be a full-time content creator, I would tell them right now, if they're doing it in a recession, that they need to be earning more than 50% more than what they were making on the job. There were, you need to make 50% more than what you were making on the job to quit and to go full-time and be a content creator in this recession. And that's best case scenario right now. It could get worse. That's best case scenario. As hard as it is, your best bet, honestly, and my most sober advice would be maybe you keep your day job for at least another 12 months to ride out the recession, see how bad things get. And you keep doing YouTube as a side hustle. And what you cut out as much as everyone hates to hear it, is you cut out any non-productive hobbies and leisure time. So I'm not telling you you can't spend time with your family. You should do that. But time that you spend and give to yourself, you should be sleeping or you should be studying or you should be working out and maintaining your physical fitness. You should be reading books. But you can cut Netflix off you know, as far as your leisure time, because it's not really resting. Screen time isn't resting. Screen time isn't relaxation. If you want to relax, if you want to maintain your mental health, then your free time is not playing video games. And it's not Netflix. Your free time is spending time with your family, working out and doing home improvements and reading books, um, soaking in the tub, get some Epsom salt, work on those, you know, sore muscles. Um, those things are fine. Those things are fine because those are, at the end of the day, things that are making you faster, smarter, sharper, healthier, more fit, more energetic. And so screen time is not your friend. Screen time is not your friend if your goal is your mental health. If your goal is your mental health and you say, I don't want to burn out, Roberto. I'm working too hard. More screens is not better just because it's not work. Netflix and video games are not rest and relaxation. It's more screen time. It's more stimulation for a different sector of your brain. It is not re-energizing you. If you want to be re-energized, you sleep. If you want to be re-energized, you build stamina and you work out. If you want to be re-energized, you can read a book and you can stimulate your creativity and different parts of your brain that you're not working out as much without the benefits, without the detriments of screen time. That would help you. You want to relax, you know, put on some headphones and listen to some music. That would be it. Go for a walk. Garden. Do anything but put yourself in front of a screen if you say you want to improve your mental health and you want to relax and rest and you don't want to do a bunch of toxic productivity and you don't want to work all the time. You don't want to work all the time. Don't turn on another screen. Don't turn on another screen. It's not helping you. Stimulating yourself like that, blue light, all those things, it's not helping you. So that's, I'm just real talk, just real talk. I know people don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. It's the truth. So that's that's what I'd be looking at. 
I would be looking at when you're not, you know, taking care of yourself, you prioritize revenue generating activities, you prioritize doing things that make you more money, you lose you use that money to then uh, build your emergency fund and your savings, use that money to pay down debt, use that to reduce stress. And then if you're, you know, you have some solid emergency savings, you have um, a lack of debt, then what you can do is you can look at I wouldn't necessarily in this market, in this market, I would hold cash. I wouldn't invest right away. I wouldn't say, you know, I would say, hey, there's probably more that the market can do. Remember, I'm not an economist, but I'm like, hey, if things can go down more. Things can go down more. My retirement portfolio is taking a hit. Um, every asset class is taking a hit. Uh, stocks, crypto, now real estate's taking a hit. But don't sit here and cheer for a market real estate crash and go, oh, I'll finally be able to have, buy a house. And there's like, we don't know what will happen with the housing market yet. Just really be patient and ride things out. Be patient. Build your storehouse. Save. Hold cash. Hold cash. Cash is not being deployed for growth right now. Cash is not being deployed for growth right now. So, and again, right now, the the thing that's going to hurt you is probably the debt. So cash on hand hedge against emergencies, hedge against not being able to work, hedge against losing your job or your income sources, holding on to the cash as much as inflation sucks is probably the way to go right now because there's just too much uncertainty and we don't know what the bottom of the bag looks like yet. We don't. We haven't hit rock bottom yet. The bounce hasn't happened yet. We don't know what that will look like. So patience is probably the best advice there is in the world right now because ultimately time is on your side here. The good news is if you're doing the right things, time is on your side. Would I rush to pay off all debt? No, I would eliminate high interest debt. Yes. But uh, anything where the interest is going to accumulate at a ridiculous rate. Yeah. I, I pay those things off. So right now though, I would prioritize holding cash over probably anything else I could do. I would hold cash. I would have cash to deploy as needed. And the, and also that means, okay, when opportunity does come, I can do something about it. Emergency comes, I can do something about it. Anything happens, I have a tool and I have those resources. So I think right now, do not be seduced by FOMO. Do not be seduced by fear of missing out. Do not be seduced by fear of missing out. So that's some of the like general you know, financial piece of this. Remember what I said about increasing your income. There are people out there who want to support content creators. A lot of you, a lot of, yes, don't add bills. Do not add bills. Um, what I would say is for a lot of you, what you could be doing is there are people who want to support you and they're going to spend some of their disposable cash. So if that's going to be the case, I would say, doubling down on members only content. I'm doing that over on the main channel. I've actually in the last month put out um, three members only videos so far. So I'm kind of like creating a situation on my main YouTube channel on my main YouTube channel. I'm like, Hey, bonus content. It's less than a dollar per video here. It's like bonus content um, doing like, you know, four or five exclusive videos about, 45 minutes a piece, 30, 45 minutes a piece. So it's a lot of content. It's a lot of content. It's high quality content. And it's like, okay, it's a less than a buck a video. 
so the goal for me is, okay, a thousand of my subscribers become premium channel members. If they do that, um, then it's $5 a month. YouTube takes their cut. It's $3.50 a month. Okay, that's $3,500 a month I don't think about if I get channel members. So a lot of you should be like, okay, what's my channel member strategy? If you're on YouTube and you're not monetized, prioritize getting monetized right now. And prioritizing getting monetized means get ruthless about the content. Double down on getting things that get the watch time, get the subscribers, do things that work. Look at your analytics. Uh, so, um, And then Teresa Thrift says, Really enjoyed the members only content. Yeah, uh, we're dropping another uh, video or two on the members only side this week. So if you subscribe to my main YouTube channel, Roberto Blake 2, um, consider becoming a premium channel member. Uh, we have like maybe 80 videos in the archive now. We're producing one to two videos a week, exclusive members only content. And they're really, in my opinion, they're some of the best content I've ever made. So, and they're mostly raw and unfiltered content. They're, they, there's no editing. It's, uh, it's, it's done. I have multiple camera angles and I like switch it up. It's a different setup than this. It's that setup over there. And so, um, you know, we're doing some of my best content over there because it's uh, more unfiltered, more stream of consciousness, similar to the podcast. So, yeah, but if, if you're, you're not um, monetized yet, focus on watch time and use my video where I tell you the six steps to getting 4,000 hours of watch time, I broke down a formula that works. So get your YouTube channel monetized. In the meantime, if your channel's not monetized, consider doing things like merchandise and putting links in there. Consider affiliate links. Amazon was great for me. Do things that uh, convert and that can get you like, okay, roundups, budget reviews, things under $100, all these things. Because uh, there still is a thriving community of people who do buy things. Sell your own product. Create your own product. Put it out there. If you're an education channel and your channel isn't monetized yet, do a Skillshare course and do Skillshare Premium. And uh, if you're not monetized, still get people to do the free trial. Get your uh, bounty commissions off of the Skillshare free trial, but then get people to leave your reviews on Skillshare. Get up in the Skillshare algorithm and then get paid for watch time on Skillshare from people who watch minutes of your course. You get paid by the minute over there. One viewer on Skillshare can be worth a thousand viewers on YouTube. So just keep that in mind and go to Skillshare. And if you're an education channel that's not monetized, make mini courses on Skillshare because it's the Netflix of education. So do that. In terms of other different monetization systems, really consider uh, diversifying and looking at what else you can do. Um, for me, I'm going to be doing more of the podcast. I'm going to be doing more live streaming. I'm going to be doing more regular channel upload videos. I've even broken into YouTube Shorts just to see what that can do for me and to run some experiments. Where If YouTube Shorts isn't great for me, we'll have data that says, okay, maybe for my style of content, it doesn't work. We'll at least have content to make out of the, the adventure of YouTube Shorts. I've been getting into Instagram Reels. My Instagram Reels have been doing better than my YouTube Shorts. And reels might be monetized as well. So there's another opportunity there. So just looking at these different things in terms of any way that's on the table to make money, consider using whatever is available to you to make money. Consider freelancing, doing gigs on Fiverr if you can do it. Elliot Family of Seven uh, says, please give a thumbs up, everyone. Yes, please smash the like button for the YouTube algorithm. Give us a thumbs up. Give us that thumbs up. Um, We've got 80 concurrent viewers right now. I should see no less than 80 to 100 likes on this video that we should be seeing that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I uh, appreciate you.
Yeah, get the yeah, we got 80 concurrent viewers. Get that like counter up. Get it to over 80. That's what we need to see. But yeah, I, I would say that um Skillshare is underestimated in the entire in the entire creator economy. Skillshare is underestimated, and it's one of the best paying platforms there is, to be honest with you. It's one of the best playing platforms that there actually is. In terms of platforms, prioritize the platforms that pay you. Prioritize the platforms that pay you. Look, at the end of the day, YouTube pays me the best, and so does my own platform, Awesome Creator Academy. And so what am I going to prioritize? I'm going to prioritize my YouTube channel and Awesome Creator Academy. And this podcast is monetized, and you guys love me, and you guys support with Super Chat. So I'm going to prioritize podcast, email list, uh, Awesome Creator Academy, and my YouTube channel. What am I going to do with Awesome Creator Academy? The thing that I haven't done up until now with Awesome Creator Academy, with Awesome Creator Academy, the main thing I focused on doing was selling coaching and the group membership, selling my time. And I also did digital products like the YouTube Starter Kit and the Brand Deal Starter Kit. We're going to do upgrades. I'm going to do what I'm going to do this summer. What I'm going to do this summer is I'm going to do an upgrade to the YouTube Starter Kit this summer. And I'm going to do, which we haven't done that in a while. We're going to do the upgrade that I've been working on for the brand deal starter kit and add the media kit template to it, the media kit template, the first one, and we'll try to do more in the future. So I'm going to do two major upgrades to two of my existing products. And then, you know what I'm going to do on top of that? I'm Because they're digital products and the labor was done once, I'm going to run some kind of discount. I'm going to run some kind of discount code. And so by running a discount and upgrading the product, I now have a reason to market it more and sell it more. And my audience will be like, oh. That makes sense why you're promoting it. It's upgraded and it's on a discount. So I'm going to definitely do that. The other thing we're going to do is for the first time ever, and you guys have been requesting it for years. Well, YouTube has done so much drastic changes that every single YouTube course is outdated. I'm finally going to just do a YouTube course. And it's not, it's, I'm already started. The out, I've already outlined the entire course. It's just a matter of filming and editing at this point. And we're going to do a great YouTube course and people can buy it or not buy it. It's okay, but it will exist. So the opportunity to serve the community, give them something they've been asking for and give them something that's not outdated. It, because again, there's been no YouTube course that also addressed the changes to live streaming, the new YouTube policies and the um, also the YouTube shorts. Nothing has addressed that. It's like it doesn't exist. If you look at the current YouTube source so courses, it doesn't reflect the current state of YouTube. So I want to make a course that reflects the current state of YouTube and I can do it better and probably a little cheaper than most people. So I'll do it. And it's things like that. So introducing new products, discounting old products, marketing old products. Another thing people aren't looking at is, okay, what content already is making you the most money? What if you just promoted the content that makes you the most money? What if you promoted the content that makes you the most uh, CPM rates? What if you promoted the content that gives you the best affiliate conversions? What if you promote the content that grows your email list? What if you promoted the content that has converted the best for your channel or for your business? What if you took your existing best assets and you promoted your existing best assets. No one thinks about that. No one thinks about promoting their existing assets. It's all about chasing new things. What about doubling down on what's already working? What about double down on the content that's also getting the most uh, subscribers and views? What elevating your profile and your platform? What what about that? That's something a lot of people just take completely for granted.
And so when it comes to making money on YouTube, when it comes to making money online, what a lot of people are doing is there, it's important to diversify, but some people are over diversifying. Some people are going too far and they're over diversifying and they are spreading themselves thin. So what I would tell people is if you are going to do this, if you're going to do this, you need to have priorities. And so what you prioritize and how you prioritize, like I said, if you look at the data and you say, okay, you know what, what's my goal here? Am I close to a subscriber milestone that I need to hit or want to hit that gives me a little bit more leverage, a little bit more juice? Okay, do I already have content that when people find this content, it turns a new viewer into a subscriber? Do that. Or, hey, I've got a video that's popping. Maybe I double down on this topic or this like subgenre or this style, and I just get more out of this style of content and the way that I'm doing it and this topic that people love. Yeah, go for it. And so that would make a lot of sense to do that. And it doesn't reinvent the wheel doesn't reinvent the wheel. So why not just do that? But like I said, a lot of people, their big problem is they're overthinking it. They're over diversifying. They're spreading themselves too thin. Diversify enough, diversify enough. So what could even diversifying enough look like? Something I like is figure out some kind of recurring stream of revenue, something that increases your monthly recurring revenue, right? So something maybe that maybe it's an affiliate thing. Okay. Or maybe it's a, a channel membership, or maybe it's these long-term contracts in, st in terms of your brand deals. Figure out solidifying some kind of monthly recurring income that's reliable. So that's either long-term brand deal contracts where you're getting paid every month from the brand, memberships that people are paying every month, or maybe it's affiliate commissions that are coming in every month that are recurring from like something. So recurring revenue. The next thing is, okay, can I have also a source of like truly passive income? Something where, okay, whether I grind or not, there's something out there that where money exists. So is that evergreen content? Am I going to make a series of evergreen content that's easy to watch all the time, anytime? For me, that's things like my 15 tips videos. My 15 tips videos, they do well. Or tutorials. So evergreen content, that helps. If you're monetized, it helps. Okay, well, what about evergreen videos that help with affiliate income. So what does that look like? Gear, tech videos, beauty reviews, gear, things people can buy, review videos are evergreen and make money. And you can do that not only on YouTube, but also you could be posting things to Amazon's creator hub and the uh, and be part of the Amazon influencer marketplace. You could be writing blog articles and roundups of, oh, best 10, top five, top 20, best under $100, so on and so forth. Generate those post those in Twitter, send those out, do things like that. So there's all these opportunities, okay? Um, if you're me and you have a big Twitter following, you could be automating list of things and products to buy with Amazon affiliate links, just disclose them. And then if they buy anything on Amazon 24 hours, you get commissions off that. So that always helps. So like, again, passive income. You build digital products. I, I do digital products like the YouTube starter kit. Those are sales. You could do online courses, do-it-yourself courses. Those would sell things like that. You could do Skillshare. So these digital products there for passive income. So I would have, okay, guaranteed recurring monthly uh, recurring revenue, 
some kind of passive income source. And then what's the other diversified thing? It's your hustle income. And that could be um, twofold. It could be you have your nine to five job income or your job, your career, whatever. But you could also have a side hustle where it's like you grind it out to make money. That could be live streaming. That could be freelancing. That could be Twitch. That could be, you know, building yourself up as an influencer to get the brand deals. It could be that maybe, yeah, it could be a gig work like DoorDash. It could be any number of things. So why do we do this? And that's a lot of effort. That's a lot of work. It's like, one, it's a temporary point in your life. Over the next 12 to 18 months, it's a temporary point in your life to make sure your life doesn't get worse. And it's a temporary thing to make sure that you've got options and you got resources and that um, one thing doesn't disrupt your life, like getting fired and so that would be important. Uh, you know, getting fired can derail everything in your life right now. If you have no way to keep your income from going down to zero dollars, and I'm not suggesting everyone's going to make it as a creator or make it as a YouTuber. What I am suggesting is that, you know, making a thousand dollars on a month, a month on the internet is not impossible. It's not impossible. Making 500 to a thousand dollars on a month on the internet reliably is not impossible if you're willing to give up your uh, some of some of your weekends or your days off or your nights or your leisure time or your hobbies, your vices, your Netflix, and also cutting your budget without really destroying your quality of life. I don't think that it'd be that hard for everybody to maybe cut 100 to $200 out of their budget every single month without, unless they're absolutely destitute already, without you destroying your quality of life. So if you can cut 100 to $2,000, you could be saving 1200 to $2,000 a year. And that's a good emergency fund. And it doesn't have to ruin your quality of life. And it can actually uh, make a difference later and give you more security and stability. And then if you're able to also increase the amount of money that you're able to make every month to an extra 500 to a thousand dollars a month. Well, that's five thousand, six thousand to ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars a month before taxes that you're able to have. And oh, well, that could be life changing money. Could be life changing money. Could be life saving money. So all of a sudden, you have these options that weren't there, and all of a sudden, you have this leverage that wasn't there. All of a sudden, if for whatever reason hours get cut, jobs get cut, uh, prop positions get cut industry goes under like you have something you have something and it's realistic to do and it's realistic to do it's realistic to do and a lot of people don't a lot of people take this for granted i know that this i'll tell you a harsh truth and i'll say this from the position of you know a lot of people like look i'm 38 i will tell you flat out and i'll tell you a harsh truth a lot of young men in their 20s on average spend 100 to $200 in a weekend on stuff they don't need to. 100 to $200 in a weekend on stuff they don't need to. And that's that's young men, that's dudes, okay? In their 20s, in their 20s. Which means that over the course of your 20s, if you're wondering why you don't own a house by the time you're in your 30s, dudes out there, that's why. That's why, you know why. Spending 100 to $200 in a weekend, you know? Without realizing it a lot of times, Somehow, some way, it's like, how is that even possible, Roberto? It's like, you can go and you can spend $20 eating out or fast food without even thinking about it. You go on a date, yeah, it's 100 bucks. Like, to, in this in this market, in this economy, you go on a date, 
it's going to be 60 to a hundred dollars right now. Like you go to the movies, that's going to be 40 bucks. If you go to the movies, it's going to be like, by the time you do, if you do any concessions and you don't go to a matinee, it's going to be 40 bucks just for two of you to the movies. Like there's a lot of things that where if you're a guy, you're going to spend money, you go to a bar, you're going to spend money. So all of a sudden in a weekend, if you do three to four activities in a weekend and you're a guy, it's a hundred dollars out the uh, gone without you really thinking about it. You buy, you know, you buy a pair of sneakers. Oh, that's it. You buy a video game. It's 60 bucks. You did like any number of little things add up. And that's like, Hey, you do just, you just do a couple of Uber eats. You just order a couple of Uber eats. All of a sudden you don't realize you spent 50 bucks. So it does happen. It does happen. And there are people that are too broke to be in that statistic. This is a generalization. I'm talking about people who are not absolutely like absolutely destitute. I'm talking about just again, regular stuff. If you observe, if you observe people existing in the world and they're in the mall and there's a bag in their hand, they spent $20. If someone's in the mall and they're holding a bag in their hand, they spent $20. If you are observing somebody at the movie theater, they spent $20 if they're by themselves. If you're observing somebody at the bar, they spent $20, $30. So just from an observation standpoint, just roll with me here. If you are observing people in these places, every time they're in these places, if that was the only thing they did that day, it's $20 to $30 if that's the only thing they did that day. It's most likely not the only thing they did that day. Just keep this in mind. So yes, obviously there are people who are like, oh, I'm too broke for that. But also start looking at your spending. Look at your spending. I use apps like Mint and Truebill. Look at your spending and just realize um, that you could be spending money without even realizing it. Some of you have subscriptions and things you're paying for that you forgot about and you're you know, um, losing money on that. Um, Daquan Bowens, thank you for the $20 super chat. Money for Taco Bell. <laughs> thank you. Um, in my case, it's actually probably going to be Panera Bread. Uh, I am going to eat those salads because I'm getting my abs back come hell or high water. Um, but yeah, so I, I would just say that when you can go an entire day without spending money, it's a good day to be very real with you. When you can go an entire day and go, I am spending no money. That's a really good day. Go through bank accounts, go through statements, use things like mint or true bill and see like, okay, is there something I uh, like um, me? Uh, Planet fitness was getting money from me for no reason during the pandemic. I kept thinking, Oh, it'll be over. It'll be over. I'll go back. I'll go back. Nope. And so cancel. It's like, would it should have done it sooner? Could have saved like, you know, uh, could have saved a couple of bucks. Um, there's all kinds of things like that. Uh, sometimes consolidating streaming services. There's all kinds of just these little things. It's little things that eat up money and add up and it gets away from you. Even as a content creator, like there are things that add up and um, go away. Something also that could help you if you're a content creator is if you've been upgrading things, consider selling old gear that you're not using instead of just hanging on to it. There's a couple of pieces of old gear that I'm going to sell uh, and just uh, be done with it. And in, and that will fund buying new equipment. I will fund my new equipment by selling my old equipment. 
And that's something I often do. And that can help tremendously in terms of your budgeting. If you feel like you do want to produce higher quality content, it's like, okay, fund your new gear by selling your old gear. So that's something that can help. And then also someone's getting something on a deal. Uh, they're, you know, they're able to give that uh, piece of equipment a good home. So there's a ton of things that I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to sell off my old gimbals and consolidate down to just like one gimbal to rule them all. One gimbal to rule them all. Uh, so yeah, I can sell all of my old gimbals. And what happened with my gimbals was this, like, I kept upgrading. I kept upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. And I just never got around to selling the old ones. Uh, because my cameras started getting heavier and heavier and heavier. So it wasn't a frivolous expense. Just set my camera gear got heavier and heavier and heavier over time. So I kept having to go and move up to a higher capacity uh, gimbal to support my camera gear over a period of time. So that is something that in looking at, I'm like, well, now I can sell these things used. Someone will get a great deal on them and I can recoup some money and then I can invest that into having exactly what I need. So this is wildly practical advice. Uh, thank you, uh, Top Financial Alpha. I totally agree, Roberto. It's great advice, practical advice you can apply, myself included. Give up a Saturday, look at your expenses in depth. Yeah, I mean, let's think about this. If you can go a, if you go a weekend, if you go an entire weekend and like, I'm not spending money this weekend, maybe you save $100 in that weekend. But if you also hustle that weekend, maybe you earn $100 maybe you earn $200, maybe you earn $500. And then all of a sudden that changes things. Something I did in the previous uh, recession was on my weekends, I would take my camera on my weekends and I would be like shooting weddings or I would be shooting weddings. And when I wasn't shooting weddings, this is before Instagram, I would shoot headshots for people. A lot of times people need professional headshots or they want to do modeling. And so I could make a few bucks. So just whip out my camera and I'll make a few bucks, uh, you know, for that time. And, you know, okay, I can do that instead of playing video games now. And that's, again, that's not going to be for everybody. My big thing is if you're getting your eight hours of sleep, use the rest and, you know, like you're getting your eight hours of sleep. Okay, that was your downtime. You're getting your eight hours of sleep. How many hours do you need to spend watching Netflix? How many hours do you need to spend watching? And if you're going to watch stuff, it's like, okay, I, like you need, I'm gonna, I, I need to watch something. I need to, it's like, okay, fine. It's not Netflix. Watch and listen to podcast. Listen to podcast. Listen to podcast while you exercise or work out. Listen to podcast while you do some other work that like the podcast doesn't fully distract you from. Uh, use the, listen to podcast and go for a walk if you need to consume something or stimulate yourself somehow. Like if you're gonna or if you're gonna watch Netflix, do me a favor. Okay, watch Netflix and work out. Watch Netflix. And sometimes you're going to miss what's on the screen because you're doing crunches. Watch Netflix while you're on the exercise bike. Watch Netflix on the small screen on your phone. If you need to watch your show and you need to keep up with your show, go watch it only on the small screen on your phone while going for a walk. You know, like I think that many of you need to look at productivity and not look at it as something toxic or that's depriving you look at it as your ally look at it as your ally uh, elliot family seven should i sell uh sent a five dollar super chat thank you so much should i sell my canon m50 seeing that i only use 
my Samsung Ultra to record content or keep the Canon as a backup. The thing is that uh, the M50 is somewhat of an older camera. It's still a very, very popular uh, camera, but you can only get so much money for it, even with the current chip shortage. You're a content creator. It might be more valuable for you to have it as a backup right now than to sell it unless you need the extra money, my friend. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, encrypt, encrypt DID angel says, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Getting my steps in while watching your, uh, podcast. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, sometimes it's creative work. I don't mind people doing productive, uh, outlets for creative work, journaling. Those things are sharpening the saw, sharpening your skills, photography, writing, design, journaling, crafting. Those things are outlets. A lot of times they won't cost you any money. They will make you sharper, more productive, more creative. There's not really a downside. There's not really a downside. So in that case, I would, you know, make those kind of things a priority. Uh, there are things, and again, I don't mind you treating yourself once in a while, but again, I would say make a budget that lets you treat yourself. You make a budget that lets you treat yourself and you just be as practical as possible. Again, multiple income streams also offset this. It, like You could look at it a different way. How am I going to fund the things that I want to do? So what income stream, because this is something I do, what income stream funds the thing that I want or need to do? Primary example. My YouTube ad sense revenue funds me paying off my taxes. My YouTube ad revenue is funding. Okay. That money is allocated to taxes. Um, the money that's allocated to business cash flow, awesome creator Academy is where I use to fund. Okay. This pays for business expenses and payroll. The business pays for the business. Okay, great. It's like, what else? Okay. Uh, brand deals. I use the brand deals to fund um, hardware and equipment purchases and any other things that are needed. And I use the uh, re recurring revenue on affiliate marketing. And I use that and I just pay living expenses out of that usually, or I can flip flop these around. But the point is, it's like I have a income stream that can fund and facilitate whatever thing it needs to. If there's something, it's like, okay, living expenses are a thing. Okay, I've got income streams or an income stream for living expenses. Taxes are a thing. Oh, I know which income stream can pay off taxes. Oh, equipment's a thing. I know what income stream can pay off equipment. Oh, payroll's a thing. I know what income stream pays off payroll. Investing's a thing. Oh, I know which income stream funds my retirement account. Oh, opportunities uh, for future things. Okay, I know which uh, income stream funds opportunities. Oh, savings. I know which income stream is funding the savings. Oh, personal expenses and leisure. Oh, I know like which I separate from living expenses. Oh, I know what income stream is funding that. So if I want to do something, I have an income stream to compensate for it. So that's the kind of thing that I personally use as a model. I use that as a, a model for how I allocate revenue and resources is I assign an income stream. I assign and allocate money to a task. It is a tool it is allocated toward a task. Money is a tool, not a goal. So I allocate money toward a task. And that's just an approach that I happen to use. 
I think it works out really well. And I think for a lot of you, this would make some kind of reasonable sense. And again, I still think this is practical. I think this is practical. And I think that um, as much as people may feel like, oh, I don't like th this is not fun. It's like there are periods and points in your life where, um, you know, it won't always be fun. Uh, Malevolent Elephant says, Roberto, imagine how rich you could be if you get back to daily. Your mental health would probably suffer, though. It might have during the pandemic. Then again, it might not have. I think that actually the irony, the irony is I think my mental health suffers when I don't make content for several reasons. When I don't make content, I don't feel happy or productive because what am I doing with my day? If I don't have a coaching call, if I don't make, edit, produce, shoot content or live stream, what was the purpose that I fulfilled today? How was I making the most of my day? How was I getting the most out of my life? How was I serving my community? What was I doing? What was I doing today that was so worth it today if I don't make content? And what I work for and fight for my whole life if I'm not going to wake up every day and I'm not going to make something. I spent, I spent my career and my life making other people money, making other people happy. So... I always wanted to be able to create things. So if I'm not waking up every day and I'm not shooting videos, writing, writing things, uh, taking photos, doing graphics, if I'm not doing something creative, I'm not happy anyway. If I'm not doing something creative, I'm not happy every day. Anyway, you're like, I, I don't like, look, sitting on the beach every day doesn't make me happy and it wouldn't make me happy. I'd be miserable. I'd be miserable sitting on the beach every day, drinking my ties. I really would. I really would. I don't like that. I don't even like alcohol that much. I don't, I don't, and I don't like sand that much. So there's no like, oh, go sit on the beach and like, you know, pontificate about the universe. Like, no, no, that doesn't make me happy. You know, maybe if I was just going to retire to being a, a novelist and writing books, like maybe I could just write, just write. And that's the, so what am I, that's still me working and creating. It's like, okay. Maybe I don't want to talk about writing books and being a writer. So maybe I'd still make videos. You see, so, see what I'm saying? It's like, it, it, like, I think that people, I, I think that people are miserable if they have an unhealthy relationship with the work they do and they don't find it fulfilling, gratifying, rewarding, and don't feel compensated appropriately for it. Me? The worst thing I did was during the pandemic, I let everyone convince me that taking a break was the best thing for my mental health. And then other things kept happening to where I had to take a break, whether I wanted to or not. And then it becomes this spiral to where I ended up making 75% less content. And I wasn't happy during the pandemic. I wasn't happy during the pandemic. In hindsight, I probably would have been happier if I never missed a week of uploads during the pandemic. I probably would have been happier if I'd been uploading two to three videos a week during the pandemic, like nothing had changed. If I had maintained my routine and my discipline and had the support of my comment section by uploading videos and never missing a week, seeing my numbers go up, seeing my ad revenue go up, seeing um, those all those numbers be green, and also knowing every day I have a reliable routine that I'm in control of regardless of what has happening in the world that I have no control over ability to influence, knowing that, oh, I'm growing the resources that protect my family. I would have been happier if I had never stopped uploading 
at all during the pandemic instead of taking months at a time off because taking months at a time off, did I really come out any happier for that? I didn't come out happier for that. I, if I had worked out every other day during the pandemic and not put on 15 pounds, I'd be happier when I look in the mirror. I'd be happier when I look in the mirror and I'd be healthier. So taking time off, yeah, some people need to. And yes, everyone needs to at some point do enough of that. But during the pandemic, I couldn't travel and go to conferences. So I was getting more rest than I normally would have because I wasn't going to conferences every month because you couldn't go to conferences every month. Taking a week or two off. Yeah, kind of, because I had to move. So I had to take time off anyway from the channel. I had to take time off from the channel anyway to literally move houses. So I was going to have to take time off at some point. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a mental health day or two or three or seven. I took entire sections multiple times over the pandemic. There were multiple times where I'd go more than two months without an upload. It didn't make me happier. It did make me happier. And like, you know, no, it, it, it really, it really didn't. So I probably would have been better off if I just like, aside from not going out, obviously, aside from not going out and aside from doing all the healthy things, the healthiest thing I probably could have done during the pandemic is not take time off. Because if I had decided to keep a routine, wake up at the same time every day, go to sleep at the same time every day, make my content, show up for my audience, grow my brand, grow my business, maintain control over some aspect of my life and not let my feelings and my emotions get to me and cause me to have a viral spiral and be depressed the last two and a half years, I would have been better off. I would have been better off if I just like, continued my routine the last two and a half years and discipline instead of letting my emotions put me into a depression spiral for two and a half years and gaining 15 pounds. And now being on the back end of that depression spiral, being a lot happier, but not loving what I see when I see that extra 15 pounds in the mirror. I don't love that. Not seeing and remembering what the growth of my channel could have been. I could be at 800,000, 900,000, a million subscribers by now, if I'd just been consistent, that's not fun. That's not fun. That doesn't make me happy. There's nothing fun about that. So, yeah, you know, it's to each their own. I don't think my mental health would actually decline from doing three to five videos a week. I think that if anything, for who I am, it would improve because I actually like doing this stuff. And that's what I forgot is that other people were, other people need to escape their job. I don't. And that's a big difference. When you get to be a creator and you do what you like, you're supported by an audience, you have a great viewership like you guys, you have people who have your back. You're not like, it's hard work. We'll never say it's not hard work. I'll never accept people saying it's not hard work. But it's not something to escape. It has its own hardships. It has its own struggles. But it's not something I need to run away from or flee from. It's not something I need two months off from. A month is fine. A couple of weeks is fine. It's not something I need three months off from. Because honestly, I miss my audience. And I regret not being a part of the conversation during that period of time. And it's disappointing. And so I, I feel 
that's how I feel about it. That's just, but that's just me. I'm not saying that's everybody. That's, that's me. That's my relationship with it. My relationship with the work I do is very healthy and positive and it's good for me to work. It's actually good for me. It's not good for other people. And I'm 38. My version of having fun is I'm kind of a homebody. So like, I get that people say it's not the sand, it's not drinking every night, it's having fun, which means networking and having enough money to have fun with. During the pandemic, we couldn't do a lot of these things. The things that I find to be fun, here are the things I enjoy that are fun for me. Traveling to new places and meeting new people and yes, networking, doing collaborations with other creators, doing stuff and taking meetings sometimes is fun to see, oh, here's this cool business thing that I didn't know about that's cool. And, or this brand is doing something interesting and wants me to be a part of it or to pick their brand. That's fun for me. Um, traveling and taking photos is fun for me. Traveling and eating new food is fun for me. So we didn't get to do any of that during the pandemic. So there was nothing to take a break for in that regard. You know, the things that I would enjoy the most, I couldn't do them. So that, that's a big part of it. Um, so then okay, the things that I have fun with that I can do at home, there's not a downside to that. I don't need a massive break for that. Gardening, playing with the dogs before the dogs died, that's a whole different thing. The, the dogs, the garden, working on the renovations in the basement, reading books, creative writing, journaling, doing my photography at the, the zoo, going to shoot at Zoo in Atlanta. Those things, I don't need massive breaks from YouTube to do any of those things. I can do those things and I do those things on my weekends and I take... I take my weekends pretty much for myself a lot of the time. And, you know, that's where my fun and my stuff exists and everything like that. When I get married and I have kids like that, then the, that's what fun will be uh, is family stuff like that. But, but like for me, the travel was taken off the table. It's back now, thank God. But that's what was taken off the table. And so that was my outlet. And that was my break is, oh, okay, that's my break. And so, yeah. I probably, again, I regret just not working uh, consistently and maintaining a discipline and good routines and daily habits through the pandemic and keeping my mental health in check by using discipline and tunnel vision and letting my emotions um, and letting the chaos in the world distract me from the order that I could create in my own life. When the chaos in the world that you can do nothing about is abundant, what you have to do is you have to look at at least from my perspective, you have to look at creating order in your own life and living an orderly life and looking at what you do have control over what's over your dominion and your domain and focus on that and doing the best you can with what you have where you are. And it doesn't mean you can completely ignore everything happening in the world, but you have to do your best to become indifferent to a lot of it because you have to acknowledge in humility that you're feeling some kind of way about it won't accomplish anything to make a material difference. And if you feeling you feeling bad or depressed about it, you internalizing the pain and the chaos and the suffering, internalizing the pain and chaos and suffering in the world will not make an iota of difference in the outcome. It'll just be you paying a price for it for no good reason. And I did not realize the totality of that until I went into this two and a half year depression spiral. Ultimately, yes, there were things that were triggering and things that certainly to some extent justify it, but there was no upside. There was no value. There was no reason I had to go through that. It was self-inflicted suffering. It was self-inflicted suffering. I did it to myself. 
I can't blame anybody else for it. I did that. So, and there were consequences. And, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, as they say, you, yes, you, you do live and learn. It's important. And, yes, I'm trying very hard not to beat myself up about it. But, um, you know, it's a lesson. And it's a lesson that um, I impart, you know, to all of you is that, you know, it's as financial rebels said, thank you for the uh, Kamari for the $4.99 super chat. It's a lesson. No need to regret it. It's a deposit in the wisdom bank. Absolutely. It is It's a deposit in the wisdom bank. And it's like, Hey, you guys get to benefit from, uh, you know, that accumulated wisdom, so to speak. So what I, what I think is to avoid regrets now. And what I'm suggesting to a lot of you now is to really think about what will make you happy, what will make you healthy, what will make you whole. Well, what does that even look like? What does being happy, healthy, and whole even look like for you? And what's it going to take to accomplish and maintain being happy, healthy, and whole? What does that even mean for you? It will be different for everybody. Make no mistake. It'll be different for everybody. So if you're going to be happy, healthy, and whole, what does that look like for you? For me, a big part of that is Wake up, create something awesome today. Wake up, create something awesome today. Wake up, create something awesome today. And it doesn't have to be a YouTube video. It could be, okay, wake up, create something awesome today. Great. Here's Instagram. Wake up, create something awesome today. Okay, doing stuff for the book. Book comes out August 22nd. Okay, doing stuff for the book. Wake up, create something awesome today. Okay, maybe it's my photography. Wake up, create something awesome today. You know, maybe it's write the newsletter. You know, I have to be doing something creative that I'm happy, that I'm proud of, that I have ownership of that reflects my values and that I'm putting out into the world, like, or it was a waste of a day. It was a waste of, for me, it was a waste of a day. So I need to, I need to get up and I need to do that. What's going to, so that's going to make me happy and satisfied. Okay. It's going to make me healthy. It's going to make me healthy. It's taking care of my body. So what does that look like? Work out, go for walks, hydrate, drink water. What's going to make me healthy? Avoid the news, avoid politics, consume less media, consume less than I create. That's going to make me healthy. That's going to make me sane. Uh, you know, um, take my supplements, my vitamins, you know, do these things, healthy habits, healthy hacks. That's what's going to make me healthy. What's going to make me whole. What's going to make me whole is creating experiences that I reflect on in life that make me happy and that I regret the least and um, making sure that um, I feel that I'm doing the right things to create those experiences, but also doing things that allow me to be valued, to use my skills and to feel valued and that allow me to feel validated. And for me, what that is, is being useful, uh, using my intelligence, using my creativity, and also uh, working toward the betterment of other people. So those are the things that make me feel um, whole. And so um, happy, healthy, and whole. So what makes you happy, healthy, and whole? I told you my version. Yours is going to be different. But you need to know that. And if you know that, then you can work on it every day. You can build up the resources that allow for you to, uh, to do what's necessary to accomplish that. Me, what help, helps me be happy, healthy, and whole? I have to make enough money to be the master of my time, which means... 
you know, not necessarily not working for an employer is essential to me being happy, healthy and whole because I need to be in control of my time and my energy. And uh, I need the emotional control of being able to set boundaries and saying who can be in my orbit, who can be in my orbit and who has to exit my orbit. I need that control. If I have an employer, I don't get to decide. So for me personally, that's important. So I have to be able to facilitate that. So I always have to stay in control financially of that. What makes me healthy is uh, what makes me healthy is being able to have the resources to, um, you know, stay fit, stay functional, and go to therapy and stay sane. So that's another problem that money does, in fact, help with considerably, but also time. So time and money help me be happy, and they may help me uh, be healthy and it absolutely helps me be whole because money can help me create the experiences that I want. Money can help me create the work that I want, create the projects that I want to the best of my ability and utilize those things. And money is a form of seeing my value in the world and measuring it and feeling that um, I'm being, you know, appropriately compensated or that my gifts are being honored or respected. So happy, healthy, and whole for me, time, energy, money, boundaries. Those are the things that allow me to maintain that. But that's what it looks like for me specifically, specifically for me and what I need out of life. You got to figure out what makes you happy, healthy, and whole. I know what that looks like for me. And I thought, I think about it a lot. And then, you know, it's a matter of, okay, if that's what's, if that's what it is for you and you know that you have to make it a priority and act accordingly. <clears throat> Elite Landscapes uh, Life Stories says, my landscaping career has given me exactly what Roberto has described, needing in life. If you want a new career, try it out. Yeah. Top Financial Alpha says, I really love your slogan. It encapsulates so much. It's different for everybody and it stretches way beyond go out and make money. It's just as you're describing, increase your whole self. Yeah. Thank you for that. Definitely um, appreciate that. And so, yeah. And again, I think, uh, look, there's a lot of people that will monetize making you be very emotionally invested in things that you ultimately benefit the least from and that ultimately have the least impact and say over your life. What I learned was to be very clear and specific about what aspects of my life I can control, define, and affect. And when I realized what that looked like, I can make that more of a priority and I make less of a priority the things that I have the least ability to influence. And I feel like that has produced a lot of peace. I think that a lot of people do not value the concept of peace. I think people sell off parts of themselves or who they are um, and they don't have more peace in an exchange. They don't get any additional piece in the exchange. And I think that's a, a, a crying shame, really. It's crying shame, really. Um, so what I look at is I don't think there's a lot of things that are worth compromising your sense of peace for. I don't think, I think that sometimes if you have to give up your peace, then the price is too high. Like whatever it is, if you're giving up your peace, the price is too high. So whenever I'm looking at something, I'm like, I'm thinking about it. 
I realized that, you know, this is going to cost me peace of mind. This is going to cause me frustration. This is going to keep me up at night, or this is going to be emotionally draining. Then, okay, the price just became entirely too high. If that's the case, the price, if that's the case, then the price became entirely too high very, very quickly. And so sometimes just because something is like, I mean, even when it comes to things like money, being a millionaire wouldn't be worth it if you don't have peace, you know, it's just really not. Is money worth giving up your peace? Is a certain relationship worth giving up your peace? Is a certain amount of status worth giving up your peace? The answer is typically, if you really thought about it, the answer is like, well, well, no. <laughs> well, no. I'm like, exactly. The people make this bad deal every single day. They make horrible deals every single day. I have more peace in my life at 38 than I ever had at 28 and than I ever had at 18. I have more peace in my life at 38 years old than I ever had at 28 and than I ever had at 18. I look back on my 20s or even my teenage years and think to myself, oh, these were the these were the happiest or best moments of my life. I don't think that. I never think that. You know why? Because it wasn't until my 30s that I actually was able to really take control of my life and have peace. Best years of my life would most likely going to probably be my 40s because I'll have even more peace. At least the way I'm going right now, I'll probably have more, more peace. And so I, I think that it's very much underrated. And I understand that usually what we talk about is we talk about, well, how to grow an audience, how to grow income, how to accomplish goals and those things. But it's like, remember, all of that is in service of higher goals and higher values. And a big part of one of, one of them is can you do that in such a way that the price you pay for it is one that you are willing to accept and the price should not be your peace? Or if it is, that should not feel permanent or it should not be something that is prolonged. Sometimes in a very temporary way, you might give up your peace, but it should not be prolonged and it should definitely not be permanent. Because I'm realistic. I know you can't always set, even if you set your boundaries, you can't always enforce them. You need leverage for that. So why do we talk about growing an audience and growing your income and growing your skills? Because all of those things are leverage. All of those things are leverage that you can deploy in living your best life. All of those things are leverage you can deploy in living your best life. If you build up an audience, you have a network within with that audience. Network is leverage. If you build up your income, you have options. That's leverage. If you build up your skills, that gives you options you can deploy, and that gives you leverage. You have multiple streams of income. That gives you leverage. You have options. And so I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Uh, we're not going to do as much of a Q&A today. We will do that um, at another time actually do need to rest and uh you know turn off screens for a little bit if you want actually i'll stay online for just a little bit longer maybe over in twitter 
But I want to thank everyone for listening and tuning into the live stream today. Uh, I really do appreciate everybody. Stay awesome. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Stay whole. And I will catch you on the next one. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.